So today I'm talking with Stephen Pacheco of this super fascinating podcast, Trace Evidence. And I know I said his name right because I also talked to Lauren Bright Pacheco, no relation. However, I just found that out. However, Stephen Pacheco of the fascinating podcast, Trace Evidence. And I'm so glad that he's here with me today because I've been listening to this one for a while. And lately, I've really sort of ramped up and done a little binge. So Stephen, welcome to the show. And I'm so glad you got to come on. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Mary Payne. I've been looking forward to talking to you. So I want to talk about the bones of your podcast, Trace Evidence. I want my listeners to really understand exactly what it's about, because I think the title of it obviously give some of it away, but the whole podcast is not literally about tiny pieces of evidence. So I want you to give my listeners a description of exactly what you would say it's about pretending that they've never heard it. Okay. Um, Trace evidence is specifically focused on unsolved cases. So I will only do cases that are unsolved. Um, Typically, they are all disappearances, abductions, and murders, Um, although in the new year, I'll be dipping into different kind of unsolved cases here and there. But essentially, it's a deep dive into any case that's unsolved where I'm one of these people that's very obsessive about detail and information. So I dig up everything I can possibly find on a case and give it to the listeners in as much detail as I possibly can. And then so the first half of the show is essentially here's all the evidence we know, the timelines, everything that happened in this case. And then the second half of the show is going through one, two, or three of the most popular theories related to that case and sort of giving the pros and cons of those theories, what's more likely, what's less likely, and analyzing the evidence through those theories. So hearing you talk about this, now I would assume your background is in some sort of you know forensic investigation, but what, what is your actual background? Uh, My background, I have no forensic investigation background. I basically studied a lot of psychology in college, and I wanted to go into psychology connected to criminology, Mm. um, though I never ended up finishing that. So my background is more in psychology and really history than anything else. That's like interesting, right? Because a lot of um, podcasts or true crime books or shows, it's all about the psychology of what goes into make something, make something, make someone do what they do. I listened to a podcast of yours recently, which was about the people that were murdered in the grocery store in North Carolina. Yeah. And that, to me, I was really listening to that because I was thinking, okay, small town, surely it has to be somebody that was there. And then at the end, like you're saying, you do tell your theories and so for me as a listener, I listen to the first part. I come up with like, well, the obvious, like, duh, this is what happened. And then I listen to your theories at the end and theories that other people have come up with. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because maybe what I was thinking initially was it has to be somebody in the town. Maybe not true. Because right. why didn't anybody turn them in by now? You know? Right. Um- Looking at the theories is always one of the most interesting parts of the show because especially for me, I kind of go out and obviously I do all the research for this, uh, but then I will find theories that people have posted online, theories from the investigators themselves or from the family members, and sometimes they have something to say that I didn't think of. So it's always interesting to look at the theories from all the angles. And like you, when I first started researching this case, I thought, I'm sure it was someone in that town. Who else would know about this store and would choose that particular location? But the more that I started digging into it and the more um, interviews I started watching with the investigators themselves, the more it seemed like there really wasn't many people who actually thought it was someone from that town. 
And then when you look at major roads that kind of pass very close to where the store itself was, it becomes clear that, well, anybody could have seen it there passing by and just thought that it was an easy target. And really, with it being such a small town, how would someone have committed this crime over 20 years ago and still be living in that town and nobody's noticed? Exactly. And so that that's why your podcast is a little different than a lot of other true crime podcasts. And it's not just let me tell you the whole story because you do go quite a bit into the backstory of all the victims, which I always appreciate because we're not, uh, you know, making the main character to be the person who did it. Because in the majority of the cases that you speak on, there may be a suspect or two. But what's interesting about your podcast as well is you don't always name the people. You say like, well, you could Google it and figure it out, but I'm not going to say it because this person has not been charged. And I appreciate that too, because it gives a little less weight to the person that did it rather than the victim. Right. A lot of true crime is focused around the perpetrator. I mean, obviously, you've got world famous people out there that true crime listeners are obsessive about with your Ted Bundy's and BTK and all that. With the cases that I do, I always want to put the focus on the victim because really the victim is the person you should be empathizing with and connecting with. Whereas the person who did this, as far as I'm concerned, in every case is just a horrible person. and I don't think they deserve really any attention. When it comes to naming potential suspects or suspects in general, I sort of allow the police to dictate the lead on that. And if I see a lot of interviews with investigators or prosecutors and they refuse to say a name, then I'm not going to say that name. Um, most of the time, they don't do it for legal reasons, but I figure if they're not going to name the person, I'm not going to, because if they haven't risen up to the status of actually being a full-fledged suspect, I don't want to name them and then people are out there harassing them. Yeah, yeah. They may have done it. They may not have done it. In some cases, we're pretty sure they did it. But still, I'm not going to go and disrupt an entire world. So I'll just allow the police to sort of guide the way on that. Now, going back to you, what spurred you to just start this podcast about true crime? Because at the beginning of your episode, you say, let me tell you a little about it. I'm a podcast that does this and we talk about this. So you sort of at the beginning of every one, you tell people what it's about. But what spurred you to start it in the first place? Um, I was always really into true crime. I grew up in the era of Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, when those shows were really popular. And, you know, there were a bunch of spinoff shows that nobody talks about today. But I was watching all that growing up. And from a young age, I've always been really into history. And one of the things about history that I both love and hate is you can read as many history books as you want on a particular subject, but you're never really going to know exactly what happened. You're just getting opinions and angles. And that sort of fed into true crime, and I became very interested in specifically unsolved cases. So for most of my life, I was always watching documentaries and shows about unsolved cases. I didn't discover podcasting until probably 2014, 2015, and I started listening to a couple of true crime shows, and I liked them a lot. But there were things about them that I thought, well, I would do it this way or I would change that. And rather than being one of these people who's like, I really like this show, but I'm going to go and leave a review where I complain about something. Oh, gosh. I thought that's the worst. Yeah. I thought I'll just do my own. I'll just do it the way I want to do it. And then people can complain to me. So really, the, <laughs> the drive and the inspiration for it was listening to other shows and just thinking, I like the way you do this. And I like the way this one does that. But I want to add in this or that. And I also felt like at the time, it certainly changed since then. There wasn't a lot of true crime shows that were really giving you a deep dive. Everybody was sort of giving you the 20-minute summary of what happened. And I just – I want more information. 
That's interesting because there are some podcasts that are a, a 20, 30 minute snippet. And then there are some that are an hour and a half long. I mean, you know, so somewhere in the middle is my podcast sometimes will go an hour and then sometimes it's 30 minutes. So it depends on probably for you, the case and how much research and how much research is available to you, how much materials you can get to. Um, Because I did notice when I was looking back, like your first podcasts were pretty short and they've gotten a little bit longer. And is that by design or just you feel like as the years have gone, you've gotten better or you feel like you have more to say? It was just sort of the evolution. Um, When I started off, I really came into this very naively thinking, well, I know true crime pretty well, so I'll just make some bullet points and then I'll just talk through the episode. And the first like five recordings of episode one were like eight minutes long. (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to write a script. So I mapped that out. And I think episode one's like 23 minutes. And then the more I did it, the more I started realizing I needed to go deeper into the research. So throughout probably episodes one through 50, the show progressively gets longer and longer. And then around in the 50s, I realized I was writing 25 page scripts for my episodes and they were being an hour and a half to two hours long. And I thought that's a bit much. So I started trimming back. So now I try to keep the episodes about an hour in length. But yeah, it's all just been a process from the beginning coming into this in all legitimacy, not having a clue what I was doing. So a lot of things have changed since episode one, the length of episodes, the equipment that I use, the depth of research that I do, and even how I write the scripts. It's all been a huge learning curve for me. Well, in the uh, words of my friend Erin, who says she's building the plane as she flies it. And I I think a lot of podcasters start out that way with an idea and like, well, let's just go. Like, what can I do? Like, I can't practice. Uh, You know, it's just like you do it and you put it out there. And then as you go, it just gets better and better. Or in some cases, you know, it it flops. Not not in your case. Your case is just better and better. And I I listened to your first episode, which I thought was really good. So, but let me ask you, what is, do you have... A daytime job, because 25 pages of script is a lot. I do not currently have a daytime job. I did when I started. I actually left my daytime job back in February, so I haven't had a job for about 10 months now. But for the first year and a half or so of the show, I did. I had a a 40-an-hour-a-week job. I think that's the dream of all podcasters, right? Like, I'm going to get to this point where I'm going to just do my podcast. And I think that's amazing to have all that time to dedicate to it and really research. And I think that's probably why Trace Evidence is so good is because it's so well-researched. Now, on that note, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come right back. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, I'm back with Stephen Pacheco of the podcast Trace evidence. And I was just saying that you do so much research. Recently, I listened to one of your podcasts where you had, and it could have been this, it may have been the same one I just referenced with the grocery store where you had the 911 call. And so your podcast is not just straight you talking. It's a lot of you talking and it, and you have a great speaking voice and it's never boring. You're always kept interested the whole time, but you do throw in other things. Now, how hard is it to get something like a 911 call? 
It really depends on the case. Sometimes you can go on YouTube and pull the 911 call if the case is well known enough. Other times, uh, news programs will do uh, something on the show and they'll have access to the audio and they'll put it up on their website. Me directly getting 911 audio from a police department would essentially require me filing a Freedom of Information Act request. The problem is I do all unsolved cases, and when it comes to the Freedom of Information Act request, they can deny you if it's an unsolved case because they could just say oh. it would threaten the integrity of the investigation. So I do not get a lot back. Almost every Freedom of Information Act request I've ever sent, I've just gotten a form letter back basically saying no. So getting the audio can be hit or miss, really. Well, if you get it off of YouTube, does that mean somebody at some point did get it from a Freedom of Information or somebody just has it and it's out there bootleg? Most of the time it's a news organization that's picked it up at some point and then they put it out there for public consumption. Um, Other times, I don't know how people get it sometimes. I would guess they do a similar thing. They file the request because especially on that grocery store case, I not only had the 911 audio, but I had the scanner audio from the police talking to each other that night over their radios and that was i think the full file on that was about an hour long and i used specific snippets of it why that's out there i'm not really sure i don't know if the police released that or somebody just had a scanner and recorded it recently i interviewed uh the two people that did the podcast 22 hours about the mansion murders here in dc Mm -hmm. and they start off their podcast with this talk between the firefighters and the police and all this scanner talk of which they're realizing it's not just a fire and there's actual bodies in here. Oh, there's one, there's two, there's three. And it's, they started off that way and it's so um, shocking and gripping. And I think it was a great way to start it because you realize like, okay, this is not just like somebody, these three people were murdered and you start to really um, get a feel for it. And sometimes it's so hard to hear like I know on my favorite murder, one of them, I think it's Georgia, really can't stand to hear a 911 call because it's almost like it makes it like a real story because mm-hmm. you're hearing the real person. So I do like that you put it in there, but it's not um, all the time and it's not in your face. You will also explain. And something else you did recently where you read something, you said, I'm going to read this in three different voices so you'll know who's talking. And I was thinking, oh, no, he's going to do like, um, I'm going to do a girly voice. I'm going to do a man voice. But you fully changed your voice with the voice recorder, which I thought was like a really cool, different thing that you're doing with your podcast. Yeah, that was sort of um, the result of a last minute choice. I had the transcript of this phone conversation that had taken place between the sheriff and the mother of a missing child. And initially I thought, well, I'll just read it or I'll just read part of it. It won't be a big deal. And then on the day of recording was when I was like, I kind of want to do the whole thing, but it's a little late for me to reach out to friends and say, can you record this audio for me? So I didn't have a choice, really, if I wanted it in there. It was either going to be me having to say, like, here's the sheriff and then the lines and here's the mother and then the lines. So it was like, I'll just mess around with the audio and see what I could do. And it ended up working out. And then I threw at the end of that episode. I let there sit like 15 seconds of silence. And then I came back in with the woman's voice and was just like, Hey, do you guys want me to do the rest of the show like this from now on? (laughs) Like I said, when you said, I'm going to have these three voices, I thought, Oh no. But actually the way you did it was you couldn't even tell, you know, if so that's just, you know, technology for you, I guess. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, your themes. Basically it's unsolved mystery. So it's disappearances, murders and abductions. And, do you think you have a percentage of what's 
it was just full on disappearance where nobody's ever heard from the person again versus abduction versus, you know, murder, which of course, all three of these things tie together and can be all three. Do you think that you have a, something as a higher percentage than the others? In terms of like what episodes I yeah. do? Yeah. As far as all your episodes, you would say, well, 50% are probably murders and the other 50 are disappearances and abductions or. I would say 60 to 70% are probably disappearances. Um mm either abductions or just flat out. We don't know where they went. And that's really a result of the listeners because I personally am more fascinated by unsolved murders. There's more to work with there. There's more information. And usually there's more meat on that bone because some of the disappearances are literally just they drove away and no one ever saw them again. But every time I've ever polled listeners, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, and I asked, which would you rather hear, a missing persons case or a murder? It's always like 90% want missing persons over murder. As you were saying this, and I'm writing down what you said, I thought I would, I am more interested a lot of times in a disappearance because it really is a mystery. A, a lot of the times it is just a full mystery. Like this person was there and then they went out to get coffee and they never came back. So what happened? Did somebody get them on the side of the road? Did they purposely leave? That, and of course, if you're talking about the 70s, the cops would always say, well, they're a runaway. Generally, they're not. Um, or they were hitchhiking and never seen again. So I, it's interesting that you said that. And maybe it's because we as podcast listeners are very saturated with murder. Uh, you know, uh, so perhaps that's the reason that we sometimes we crave a little something different. But yeah, some of these things that you do with um, kids that are abducted is it's a little hard to listen to. I imagine it's pretty hard to to write about as well. Yeah, the the child cases are always really the hardest ones to do. And for a long time, I would only do a child case once every ten or fifteen episodes for a number of reasons. But they're hard on me to research because it's just emotionally draining. But on top of that. Uh, you do have listeners out there who will basically say, I love your show, but I don't listen to the child episodes. And you can see it reflected in the numbers. Uh, right. I, I know if I release a child episode, it's going to get less than my average download count. So I try to steer around those. But lately, I've done a lot more of them just because there's not a lot of people out there doing them. And I feel like these are important cases to address. And even if it means... Some people might not listen or they might skip that episode. I still it's a story that needs to be told. And I totally understand someone not listening and I don't hold that against them. But someone has to be addressing more of these cases. That's a great point. There, it, Sometimes with a, a child thing, I will skip it a little bit more or like, oh, I don't want to really hear that part, you know. So that's true. That's true. And I just I really, really count myself as just sort of the average podcast listener who listens to a lot of true crime. I listen to a lot of other stuff, but I do listen to a lot of true crime. So as you're saying that, that resonates with me just as not as a podcaster myself, but as a regular listener. So speaking of these cases, since you've started this, has there been any that have been solved or gotten more attention because of your podcast? I don't ever like to take credit for anything because I feel like I'm just talking about the cases and trying to get them more exposure and Anything that happens with the case is totally as a result of the investigators and the families. There have been several cases I've covered that have been solved since I've been doing the show. Isabel Sellis was a little girl who was abducted from her bedroom. They've since arrested the person who did that. Now, let me interrupt you. So that was the one that you did, and you said more than once, like, there is a person who admitted to doing it. And then there was the boyfriend, but the boyfriend never really was a suspect. So because I haven't seen the follow-up, is the person they arrested the one that admitted to it in prison? No. No. What? 
the amazing thing about that case is everyone thought the father did it um, because that's a case where the 911 audio is out there and it's a very weird call in which the father is kind of laughing while he's reporting his daughter missing. And it's just, you know, people react differently. But we all took that to mean this guy must have been involved in some way. Yeah, so I'm for, thinking of a totally different case. So, okay, go ahead. So for, <laughs> for years, they hammered this guy. And I was part of it when I did my episode on it. I talked about him in the theories and said he was suspicious to me and all of that. Um, and basically all of us, the investigators, everybody felt like there's no way this wasn't some kind of an inside job by someone who knew her. As it turned out, it was a guy who at the time was living around the corner and had broken into the house and just taken her. He had no connection to her whatsoever and never knew her. Wow. And so that was very that was pretty recently solved. That was solved, uh, I think, summerish of last year is when they made the arrest on that. It, it reminds me a little bit about like Elizabeth Smart, the way that she was just taken out of her bedroom and people are like, well, it has to be this person or that person in the family. And they never, never would have thought it was this handyman who popped a latch like six months before, like the way that that came about, like you couldn't even have ever imagined. So, you know, I, really, that's the thing is like, you never know. Well, that's great to hear that that case at least got solved. I mean, it's not going to it bring them back, but it's a little bit of peace for the family. So this is a totally, uh, totally right term, but I wanted to compliment you on your um, website. Your website is super extensive. So for each um, episode, you have things and then you have all of like your press that you've gotten or where you've been mentioned in the news. And so anyway, that's just a compliment. I love your website. Thanks. Uh, the website is a challenge sometimes because there's so much on it that I have to keep up with. And there have certainly been times where I've gone, I've been a little lax with that website and let some things slip through and then had to go back and fix it. Right now, I'm actually in the process of redoing the source listing on every episode because wow. currently, if you go to the, an episode information page, it gives you the summary, links to listen, an image gallery, and then at the bottom it says sources, and it's just the links to all the sources I used. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I'm going through and redoing those so that I, I tell you the title of this particular news article, what news organization did it, what day and year it was released, and changing all the links so it's just more clear. You can, instead of just clicking random links, you can actually read them and be like, oh, that's the one I want to look at. So that takes a lot of time. I'm exhausted <laughs> listening to that. That's it's, a lot. It's time consuming. I did my first uh, eight episodes yesterday because I figured I would start from the beginning. I think it took me like three or four hours to do the first eight. Yeah, it takes me like 30 minutes to link up like podcasts that I just like mentioned at the end of my podcast. I'm <laughs> like, how do I do it? I have to right click. I have to make a link. I disconnect the link. That's, that's a lot of work. Well, it, it shows. Your website's really good. And so if you are like me, and I like a lot of times to listen to a podcast episode. And then if, if they let you know that there's things to look at, you want to go see what the person looked like. You want to see what the actual clippings in the paper looked like at that time, um, because it could be from the seventies or it could be from now, but you still want to see it. So um, as a listener, I really like that too. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Patreon and other podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups 
It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I'm back with Stephen Pacheco of the podcast Trace Evidence. Okay, I know that you have a pretty extensive Patreon, so tell me what what you offer extra on Patreon. And I'm saying this because I have a Patreon, so I'm always interested in what other people are putting on their Patreon. Right. Well, in general, like there's the merchandise stuff. So there are tier levels you can get where you get stickers. I have pins. I have pens. Um, and then there's a higher tier level where you can get like um, a Trace Evidence t-shirt. There's a certain level where your name gets mentioned at the end of every episode and you get listed as a producer of the show. And then in terms of content, every episode I do gets put on Patreon without the commercials in it so they can listen to ad-free Beyond that, I do one bonus episode per month, and usually it's a case that I wouldn't normally cover on the show. It's something a little out of the ordinary. It's not a general thing. Like, I have to record this week an episode on the death of Edgar Allan Poe because I allow... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I allow the patrons, I give them four options every month. They vote on it, so they choose the bonus topic. Last month's, or October's, was uh, the Phoenix Lights, which is like a UFO incident, and it was... For me, it was, you know, it'll be fun to approach this from like a true crime perspective and see how I would handle a case like this. So bonus content, ad free episodes, merchandise, producer status. There's a bunch of stuff on there. That's cool. So you don't just kind of do like a bonus episode of more of what you do on Trace Evidence. You do something out of the box. Like, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe or UFOs is pretty out of the box, I would say. That's neat, though. I'd like to hear that Edgar Allan Poe, and I think that would be cool. So let me ask you about your podcasting journey, and I put journey in air quotes. So about your journey, what do you think is the most surprising thing that you've learned along the way? Because you've been doing this for a couple of years. So as it's gone, as podcasting itself, and true crime especially, has gotten bigger. I mean, like you got your own category now on um, iTunes. It's gotten bigger and bigger. What's the most surprising thing that you think you've come across or that you've learned? Well, I had no idea how much work it was to do this. I thought, do do some research, get a general sense of the case, write like two pages and then kind of off the cuff talk while you're doing it. And I had no idea that it would end up being a 40 to 50 hour a week job, essentially, just doing the research and writing the scripts, let alone recording. And then you have to figure out all the audio. I have some history with editing for video, but audio was never my area. So trying to figure out levels and what certain things are i have such an appreciation for like audio engineers and producers now because i really didn't think it was this complicated when i started out so more or less the surprises to me have all been on just figuring out oh i need to be doing this but i have no idea how to do it so now i have to try and figure out this new skill to add to the show to address sometimes something that's really minor you could just have a little audio thing that's driving people sort of crazy and you don't know what it is. So really it's the figuring out the actual planning of episodes, the recording and the writing and how much time that all takes. Cause I honestly thought this was like, ah, I'll spend like two hours a week on an episode. 
Right. And, and I hear that a lot. And I know it as well. Now I have a, a producer and, um, a couple of people that are sort of on the uh, on the team with the media company that I'm with that help. So I'm just sort of doing the research and doing the talking. But if I had to also be doing the recording, editing, make it sound good, also make sure the social media looks like this and a website and all this, for sure, 40 to 50 hours a week, for sure. Because I do such, you know, me as the voice of it, I do such a minor part compared to what is the behind the scenes. And I do know plenty of people that do every single thing themselves and then also have a full-time job. And I'm like, when do you sleep? When do you sleep? Especially if you're putting out something like what you're putting out that's so chock full of sometimes audio clips and research and sometimes different voices. Uh, you know, you really, uh, you really can see the work that you put into it because it's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, that that's that's the perfect answer. That's the perfect answer. It, that is the most surprising thing is how much work it is. And people are getting it for free most yeah. of the time, you know? I mean, if you're like me, you don't sleep very much. Uh, this is a really 24-hour-a-day thing because even when I'm not researching or recording, I'm responding to messages on Facebook or emails, Twitters, Instagrams. I mean, it's 24 hours a day in all reality. The only time... I'm not responding is when it's two or three in the morning and I finally put my phone on do not disturb and sleep for five hours. You have to do that. You got to put it on do not disturb and then you got to put it across the room mm -mm. so that and put it face down so you can't see it and put the alarm on. That's what I do. Um, and then I get my book out and then I get so involved in my book that I forget that I was trying not to look at a screen. So, you know, I love to talk to podcasters and I love to find out about your podcasting experience, but I also like to know if you have a chance, what are you listening to? Because this gives me great ideas for other people to talk to. So tell me what you're listening to. At the moment, I mean, obviously it's it's a lot of true crime, um, but I've been listening a lot to criminology. Yes. Um, those guys are just great and I'm friendly with them and they're they're so nice and helpful too and they do such a good job. Beyond them, there's uh, morbidology. You know, I keep hearing about morbidology, but I haven't listened. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. For a long time, she had basically like a true crime blog, and I would chat with her once in a while. And she basically at some point started on Twitter saying, like, should I just do a podcast? And pretty much everybody said yes. And she's been, I don't know how many episodes she's up to now, but she's been doing it for a little while, and she keeps getting better. And she's just a really delightful person as well. And she's very hardworking and determined. I I like someone who is very research focused and likes to go in depth. So she's a pretty awesome person. Uh, beyond Morbidology, I would say I listen to, obviously, um, The Trail Went Cold, hosted by uh, Robin Warder. That's one of has, my favorites. Has anybody ever told you you sound like him a little bit? No, I've never actually heard that, but I'll totally take it as a compliment because Robin's one of the like hardest working and also one of the nicest people you will ever speak to. I've talked to him and you know a lot of people mention him when I'm asking this question. He is so nice. But today, uh, this morning, I was listening to um, your latest episode and it's one of those things like if you see somebody on TV and it just digs at you, like who does that person remind me of? And it takes you like, a week and you're, oh god it comes to you in the middle of the night but i was listening this morning to yours and i was like his voice reminds me so much of somebody and it came to me as i was driving home to do this podcast <laughs> that it is robin warder of the trail went gold it's not necessarily your voice it's sort of your way of storytelling right no I'll, that's that's a great compliment honestly because robin does such an amazing job with the trail went cold and to be compared to him in any way is a good thing i don't think i'm nearly as nice as he is and i'm certainly not as <laughs> tall as he is but 
Well, listen, you're, all I can see from you is like the waist up, the, the way we're doing this. So I, everybody to me is at least like 6'4". That's true. We can <laughs> pretend that I am, but I am certainly not. And there are pictures of me standing next to Robin and it becomes quite clear. <laughs> well, it's like my husband is 6'4", and I'm, you know, I say 5'5", five, five, but really 5'4". So he's a full foot taller than me. His name is Dave, and my friends will sometimes be like, oh, look at that picture of you and Big Giant Dave. Right. I'm like, he's not that giant. I'm just little. But it's the same idea. Like, I should just carry a little box around with me all the time. Like, um, what's his name? Ryan, what's his name that does the American Idol? Carries around the box. Ryan Seacrest. Seacrest yeah. Yes, carries around a box to make him look taller. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would get kind of old. Um, do, do you have any other ones that you could uh, recommend? Because these are great. Morbidology, I'm going to check out for sure. Yeah, I would recommend Flat Rock. Um, oh, I don't know Flat Rock. Flat Rock's new. It's a standalone where season one, it's focused in the Flat Rock neighborhood of Nashville, and it's about the murder of a young girl. Um, and Olivia, who hosts Flat Rock, did an amazing job going in and speaking with the investigators, getting interviews with them. She even speaks with someone who is considered either a, a possible person of interest or may have knowledge about the person who may have committed this crime. And it's Ugh. a really deep dive. It's very powerful and it's very emotional listening to it because of the context of the case. But that's another amazing one that I would recommend anyone check out. Okay. These are all great recommendations. You know, recently I re-listened to S-Town. Mm -hmm. I was going to, I did a podcast about it with a friend of mine. We talked about it and it's interesting when something like this, like you're describing like Flat Rock, and you go and listen to something like S-Town that's so well done, and then I listen to it two years later, I'm like, you know what? My gosh. Like, these people are really, like, raising the bar. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so good. So, Flat Rock, I'm, it seems like someone somewhere in my ether has mentioned this to me, but now I'm going to, like, check it out for sure now that you've said it. Yeah, it's. I think it's eight or nine episodes long in total, but I burned... So it's done, so you listen to the whole thing? Yeah, I listened... I waited for a couple episodes to build up, and then I thought, I'll just listen when I'm driving around, because that's what I tend to do. But this was one where when I would get out of the car, I would have to put my headphones on and keep listening to it. Don't you love that? And then you're like like me, like walking around Costco, maybe looking like a little bit like a crazy person, because you're like, oh! What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's tap tap. There's also the angle where I'm listening to it and thinking like, this person's doing this so much better than me. <laughs> Listen, if I thought about that, about every single thing, I'd, I would like never, you know, leave my house. But okay. So flat rock. All right. Okay. Well, listen, these are amazing. So we got trail went cold. Your um, speak twin, Robin, morbidology, criminology, and flat rock. And all of yours tend to be true crime. Yeah, I mean, I have ones that are outside of true crime. If I was going to recommend one that wasn't true crime, I would recommend uh, Our Fake History. Fake hi fake history. It's Our Fake Our History. Our Fake History. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. He basically goes through sometimes people, sometimes events, and gives you all the different angles to it and sort of cuts through what has what's actual history and what's become myth and legend over the years. Oh, I would like that. It's very interesting. He's very good at it. It's. It, I'll tell you something that I've noticed in all these podcasts that I've done, that a lot of people that are true crime podcasters, when asked what they like, a lot of them give me a lot of history podcasts. I wonder, It. I mean, it's got, it's a correlation. I mean, it's, not only are you like, because you're looking at unsolved crime, so because that's history, but a lot of people that just do even current stories always give me history podcasts. 
which makes me think I should be listening to more history podcasts. I think when you're when you're involved enough in true crime that you want to make a podcast about it, you have a mindset where you like to know everything that happened in a given situation. And I think that begins a little bit in history when you're a kid. You might not be reading about crimes as a child, but you might be reading about wars or major events, and you want to know all the angles to it. And I think that actually applies really well to true crime because I, I think a lot of us don't look at it from one point of view. We kind of go all the way around it, sort of like when you're looking at a historical event. So I would assume that true crime and history are just tied together in that, that need to know all of the information and that desire to know exactly what happened. Hmm. Okay. Well, I feel like I've just uh, learned something new here. It's like that um, cue the rainbow, the more you know. I, feel like <laughs> I, just, I just learned something right here, right now. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough for chatting with me today. And I know we had a little hiccup the first time we tried to record, which was my fault. So I apologize for that. So I'm so glad that we actually got to talk. Um, And I want you to tell people where they can find you on social media and about your where you can find your podcast, where they can find you and where your website is. Sure. Um, You could find Trace Evidence everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Trace Evidence. I'm on, I believe, every platform you can possibly hear a podcast on. Um, In terms of social media, if you just search Facebook for Trace Evidence, there's a page on there that you can publicly just like. There's also a group that's private that you can join where we go into more in-depth discussion of the cases, and there's a lot of back and forth. I'm on Twitter at TraceEvPod. I'm on Instagram at TraceEvidencePod. And you can go to the website Trace-Evidence.com, and all the social media stuff is listed there. Yeah, I would recommend going to the website and then probably scroll to the bottom and it's got all your little Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But the but the website in this days of people not doing too many websites because they most, mostly do all social media, going to your website and seeing all that information there was really, uh, for me as a listener, was really great. Uh, just because individually per episode, you can see the backstory. Right. So I really, really appreciate that. Well, thank you again for chatting with me. And I would tell everybody to go listen to Trace Evidence. It's a true crime podcast, but it's a little bit different. And um, it's about theories. And I love that too. So thanks very much. And if you want to find me, social media, Pain and the Pod. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Mary Payne.